just ask you a question, getting real personal with you. How many of you here like to run? One, two. Okay. That's, <laughs> that's about 5% of us. Okay. God bless you guys for liking to run. How many, let me ask it another way. How many of you will ever run? went up a little bit more there, okay? I'm just, just curious, okay? Um, how many of you will never run? Raise your hands. There we go. <laughs> we got a couple that are honest there anyway. All right. But we've been studying the fact that some run to something, some run away from something, okay? And today, not too long ago, and I preached in a different light, but I preached about the prodigal son, but we're going to look at him in a little different way tonight, perhaps, okay? And I think when we talk about the prodigal son, many times we misplace the focus on the story. Because we always tend to focus on the son, the prodigal son, okay? Um, but perhaps this story is not, we don't focus on the most important part. The most important part is the loving father. Okay? The story is about a wayward son and his father's love for him. I began to think about things that make me run, okay? Or make me run, have made me run over my lifetime. And I want to talk about those for just a minute, okay? When I was three to five years old, mom hollering from the porch, Scott Bradley Olson, get in this house. That made me run, okay? It's things that make you run. Seven to ten years old. Big barking dogs made me run, okay? When I was out on the playground, when the lunch bell rang, that made me run. I wanted to be the first in line to go into the cafeteria, okay? 12 to 18 years old, my PE teacher or coach made me run. I remember my basketball coach in seventh grade. Get on the line, and that meant go to the baseline. We're going to run yo-yos, and we'd run to the free throw line and back, to the half-court line and back, the other free throw line and back, the other baseline and back, and we'd do that about 10 times at full speed. He made me run. My football coach made me run wind sprints. You know, we'd run 10, 20-yard dashes. We'd run 8, 40-yard. Then we would do uh, about 6, 100-yard dashes, you know, and at the end of practice when we were already, our tongue's hanging out down here, Okay. 21 to 23 years old, Dana made me chase her, okay? And right now, okay, what makes me run is my waistline. That's the thing that makes me run, okay? But this story tonight, The Prodigal Son, captures our hearts for many reasons. And I hope we're all in the mode to say, maybe the Spirit can speak something into my life today that will be refreshing or may change me, will may renew a right spirit inside of me, okay? We have three completely different things to deal with today, and I'm going to talk about the three people that are involved in this story, okay? The prodigal, he runs through fences that have been put up for him, and he messes up his whole life. And I'm continually surprised by all the people at some point in their lives say, I'm sick of the way I'm living. And they decide I'm unhappy. And they leave whatever they're doing. They leave their families. They leave everything behind. They leave their friends. Husbands and wives, they do this all the time. Men are usually leaving for another woman because they're unhappy. 
Remember in the scripture where Genesis it says, it's not good for man to be alone? Well, men, when they leave their family, they go to somebody else. Women don't necessarily do this. Because it's not good. The scripture doesn't say it's not good for them to be alone. They can make it perfectly fine on their own. Our culture today encourages people to escape things if they simply don't feel good to them. Commitments of all kinds are abandoned because of nothing more than this statement. This is not making me happy. The second person in this story is the elder brother. He's the brother of the prodigal. He's the one who stays home. He's the one that's doing everything and doing it right. And all of us have some elder brother in us. We want to do things right. Most of us tend to want to please other people. And we get upset because we've been doing things right, but we don't feel we're being honored correctly with blessings for our righteousness. We all have some moments when we say, well, that just isn't fair. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I want you to think to yourself, how many of you have said, you know, that's just not fair? A rousing course of amen. The loving father. The loving father is a huge, huge, huge part of this story. And the reason this story is in this series is from the passage where the father saw his son a long ways down the road. And what did he do? He ran. He ran to meet him. And even though the son had messed up, his father ran. Let's just jump in. Number one, the prodigal. Luke 15 and 11, and Jesus is telling a parable here, okay? This is not a real-life story, and we always say it is a real-life story, but it's a parable that Jesus was sharing, okay? It may have been taken from some events that were true, but it, it's called a parable. Luke 15 and 11, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between him. Now, this didn't happen real often, okay? Now, we go to verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all, all that he had, and he set off for a distant country. Now, so far, so good. We're not going to talk about his reasons for getting in his inheritance. We're not going to talk about, um, you know, the, the inappropriateness of asking for your inheritance before your parents have died. But there's some good right here, okay? It's okay to dream about what you think your life is going to be like. Do you remember that saying to yourself, I can't wait to the day that I go to college or I can't wait to the day that I get out on my own? Maybe you couldn't wait to be married or to have a family, no matter what it was, but you dreamed about your future and what it was going to be like. The prodigal had a dream about what his life was going to be like when he got away from home. There's nothing wrong with that. He's going to go and he's going to establish his own identity, and at some point in our lives, it's important for all of us to do that, or we're going to stay home with our mommy and daddy the rest of our life. It's how you do it that defines who you are. Nothing wrong with dreaming, it's how you do it. All right. 
There's the good. It's okay to drink. Here's the bad. I taught, I have taught in the past, that the way he got his money was bad. And it's true. He basically was telling his parents he wished they were dead. You see, you get your inheritance when your parents die. Then the way he spent his money was bad. Verse 13 says, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. In this parable, Jesus doesn't necessarily tell us what the wild living was all about. The brother says something about it later. What we do know is that when he was living in this manner, he ran through his money. He ran through all the restrictions. His family held his values. He broke all the rules of what, what were expectations of his father and what he had laid out for him. He had sex with prostitutes, that's what his brother said. He has this huge party life, and he may have fun for a while, but he's getting ready to have his challenges. There are a couple things that we need to remember about while living in sin. Things go bad when we only pursue pleasure in our lives. If your goal is only pleasure, you're going to end up with a life that doesn't have very much meaning. There's nothing wrong with having fun and having things in your life that bring you pleasure. God put Adam and Eve in the garden for their pleasure. Their sexual relationship was for their pleasure. The beauty and the fruit of the garden were for their pleasure. B, things go bad when I refuse to live within the healthy boundaries. Healthy boundaries are important in our life. When you go to the zoo and you see the lions, there's usually some sort of barrier between you and the lion, correct? A fence, a big moat, something like that. It's a big, big barrier some way to protect you from the lions and protect the lions from getting out of their cages. What would happen if you went to the zoo and you go up to the zoo keeper, keeper and say, I'd like to come inside there and pet the lion? The zookeeper would look back and say, no. And you say, why? Because the lion will kill you. Very simple. Not a good idea. There's a barrier set up to keep the lions out in and to keep you out. And God puts up barriers to protect you. These are not to take away our fun and our pleasure. They're there because God knows what happens when we cross those boundaries, those fences, and those barriers. You know, we live in a culture that says to us, when we point out healthy boundaries that people should stay within, what they say is, you don't know what's good for me. I don't have the same values as you. And that may be true, but I do know that I've seen people have gone on before you have ruined their lives by crossing God's boundaries that he has put out there. Not me. Our culture wants to ignore all that. Wants the church to forget about all that. Okay? See, it goes bad when I give no thought to consequences. I just do my thing. We don't think about what it's going to be like after the fact, okay? I've talked about the good and the bad concerning the prodigal, 
the prodigal, what's next? Oh, come on. The ugly. Seen the good and the bad, now let's talk about the ugly. He found himself so hungry that even the pig's food, the pods that they were eating, looked good to him. The scripture said nobody gave him anything. He wanted to eat the pig's food, but nobody would give him any. Wow. I assure you, when he was packing his bags and he had a fistful of cash, he never dreamed that he would wake up in a pig's pen nose to nose with an old sow wishing he had the pods that they were feeding the pigs. He was going to go and live it up on the wild side. And you know it's ugly when you're alone. You know, when we're in sin, did you know sin just never gets better? The longer you do it, you just don't get better. And it's okay, because it's, it's getting better, this sin thing. It gets worse and worse, and the longer we dig in this sin thing, we spiral down and down and down and down further away from the truth. We live in a sex-crazed society where people are creating more evil. The gay and the lesbian have now added a new thing to twist their minds. Here's the new thing. At one time, it was, you know, you've got to decide whether you're male or you're female. Now we have another strand, we have another cue that's going now is that people don't know what they are. Can you imagine and i, I got to be honest, I feel sorry for the loneliness of people that actually are thinking that way. I don't know what I am. And lately, I have been in establishments, retail stores and restaurants, where there are individuals that are caught in that in-between place. They don't know what they are. So there are males that are changing to females, or females changing to males, and it actually takes energy to look at them and try to figure out, I wonder which they're doing, male to female or female to male, because you don't know. You see the five o'clock shadow, but yet you see the makeup. You see the man's body there, you know, but you hear a female's voice. What a lonely place to be. It just gets worse and worse and worse. I pray for these lonely people that will God will bring them to deliverance. Can you imagine how lost those individuals are? They're not only lost from God, they're lost from their families, they're lost from their friends, they're lost from everybody around them. about the prodigal. Let's talk about the older brother, number two. Verse 28 through 30. The older brother became angry, and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes and come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. You know, the fattened calf was a big deal. 
We don't talk about that a whole lot. The family spent a whole lot of money fattening up this calf during the year. And the biggest event during the year, they would call for the fattened calf. And they'd say, let's kill him and let's party. Okay? It was a big deal. And honestly, i, I got to be honest. I feel a little bit for the older brother right here. Maybe you have a little bit of feeling for him too. He's done well. He's paid attention to what matters. He's been faithful. He's been loyal to his father. But there is a side of me that causes me to have empathy for him. Then I look at his response to his father and I realize that he has as many needs as his younger brother. He's just on the other side of the law. Hey, he's angry. I think he was angry because this was all beyond his control. He's probably the one that dad leaned to. He was the decision maker on the farm. His dad's right-hand man. He's taking over for dad one day. He has the say, the power, and the influence in the family right now. And suddenly he has no say in this new set of events. How do you guys handle not being in control? Just ask him. How do you handle not being in control? How do you handle it when your influence is wiped out and you are no longer in control? Are you then submitted to the others that are in control? Just happily? B. This older brother wouldn't even go in the house. His dad comes out and says, come on, please come in. It's easy to sit outside the house and criticize what's going on inside the house. This goes for everybody, but all those Christians, those outside, they're all hypocrites. You see, it's easier to justify your bad behavior by criticizing those who are trying to do it right and mess up from time to time. It's easier to do that on the outside. It's obviously football season again. I, it's no secret I watch the Sooners uh, games every week. I watch the Cowboys when they're not playing at the same time the Sooners are. Okay, But it's amazing to me how many people know how to coach defense better than my kids. It's amazing to me how many people know how to win the Big 12 championship better than Mike Gundy does? Never played it down of college football, never coached it down of college football, but they are in the chair of knowledge when it comes to their team. It's easier when you're on the outside criticizing those that are on the inside. David again, that's not me. <laughs> the older brother, he knew how to do this. Although he never had a son who'd left home. The older brother knew how to do this, but he had never had a brother that left home and come back. 
But somehow, someway, he knew how his dad should react. And by the way, see, he kept track of how great he wanted him. Then he starts on this list. <laughs> and I lose most empathy for him now. This is what he says. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. I'm great. Yeah, you've been doing all those things. You've been doing it right. You never disobeyed the orders, but you've been keeping score. I've worked my little finger to the bone for you. When you do something good for somebody, just do it and walk away. Don't remind them how good you are to them. Have you ever been around people that just want to tell you all the good things that they've done? Don't you just want to say, shut up, in the name of Jesus, of course. <laughs> That's why the, the Lord says to us, our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. The best things that we do in comparison to our God's righteousness and what He's done for us, filthy rags. That's why He talked about the splinter in your eye. I've got a splinter in, I mean the splinter in the other guy's eye and you're not supposed to point out the splinter because you've got a two by four in your own eye. We just don't do that. We're not supposed to do that. We miss our own faults. But you can see all the problems of everybody else. Indeed. He not only kept score of how great he was, he kept track of how he was rewarded. I find it interesting how he points this out to his followers. You've never even given me a goat. The other guy got it. Not much better than him. You see, silent resentment can destroy your life. And Satan loves to keep people in that particular trap. He loves it when you resent that person so much that it takes energy to even think about them in a good light. Did you know that we're able to forgive people? And a lot of people are under the mistaken conception that when you forgive people, you've got to be friends with them again. That's not the case. When you forgive someone, there's sometimes those people don't deserve your friendship and your love. They deserve your love. I shouldn't have said that. They don't. And you don't have to go back and be their best buddy again. Even hang around them. You can still forgive them in your heart. That's why the Lord says forgive them 70 times 7 or infinitely. Wow. Forgive them. Pray that God will minister to them and finds them valuable just like you. Because he is valuable to God just like you. Here's a quote. I want you to remember this. Don't expect to be treated fairly in this life and you will never be disappointed. Some find that funny. E. And 
I think this just kind of brings it over the top for the older brother. He doesn't even recognize his brother as his brother. He says to his father, after he talked about how great he was and how he hasn't gotten any reward, he said, but when this son of yours comes home. He didn't say, but when my brother comes home. He goes, this son of yours comes home. He doesn't want relationship. He's distancing himself even further. He's sorry. He's not even sorry that his brother left, I don't believe. Perhaps he's a little sorry that he came home. Here's the thing that we need to ask and identify with in this. Do I care about the right things? This life is not about me, and it's not about my preferences. It's really not. This life is about a passion for a righteous God, and all our little pet peeves should be measured against what God thinks is important. I don't like that song. <laughs> when you get to heaven, I hope you tell the Father in heaven nerd to tell him you didn't like that song. This is so boring. God thinks it's important that there are people that are lost out there in the world and they're eating the world's pig food. What have we done to reach out to those that are eating pig's food and are lost and going to hell? But we don't like the song. What have we done to win them for Christ? Number three, the problem. The main part of the story. This is the reason this story is in this series to begin with. The prodigal is lost. The eldest brother is just as lost as the prodigal, but he's on the other side of the line. And we come to verse 20. And you need to identify with this. I want you to think about a son that is a long way off. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. The father saw the lost and had compassion. He ran to his son. Did you hear that? He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, and this is a beautiful part, because this is a part of repentance. Okay? I gave a Wednesday night a demonstration of what repentance is. And if you'll watch this, you'll never forget. Okay, here's my demonstration of repentance. Here it is. That's it. You turn around. You repent again. That's what repentance is. You turn around, and here he goes, okay? Father, I have sinned. He's turning around. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And when he repented, the father 
he comes to him and he says, he says to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. Let's have a party. Amen. Why? Because the lost son came home. Why? Because the dead son has come home. The son came home. And what does that say about the loving father? son could come home. And he knew he could come home. The robe. Talk about this in a minute. The robe is about acceptance. And that's the symbol that the father gave him in wrapping him with the robe. He said, go get the finest robe in the house and wrap him with it. You know, Dana and I, every now and then, we have the privilege of staying at a hotel. We open up the closet, and we open the closet and have those two fuzzy robes in it. Maybe you've been there. Maybe not. But you open it up, and on the front of the robe, it always says, one size fits all. <laughs> and I look at that robe... And they are the same size. And I look at my wife, and I look at me, and I go, well, it fits her. It ain't going to fit me. And I mean that in a good way, okay? And if it fits me, it's going to be baggy on her, okay? But you, you know what I'm talking about. But this robe, no better robe in the world. You know how old this robe is? Twenty-seven years old. Bought it in 1999. Comb my hair. I'll tell you how old it is. My favorite robe. And when I get home, there's no better feeling. You notice it's kind of big and baggy. Every time I buy one. If I bought one in my size, and I bought several over the years, they're too little. And barely get them closed. The rope's too small, you know, around. Or the belt. Maybe that's my problem. I think it's the manufacturer's problem. <laughs> but this is the only robe I've ever got that worked for me. And just makes me feel good. That when the loving father sent the servant. Go get the robe. He was going, I accept you. I accept you. And everything in my heart accepts you. Man, I'm getting all feedback here today. Did it fall off? Verizon commercial. It's just a sign of acceptance. The ring. What was the ring? The ring, it was a signet ring and it was a sign of authority. 
And the audience that Jesus was teaching that day, okay, they would be, they would understand what Jesus was saying very clearly when he started talking about the ring. He was telling his son, you now have the symbol of authority. You now have my voice. The family signet ring says you have authority as my son. And that's pretty big considering where he'd been and how he'd been living and the poor decisions that he'd been making. He was saying with this ring, you're my son. I know what you've done in the past, but you're still my son. And finally, we come to the sandals. And the sandals mean dignity. Your feet have wandered off. They've been stained by soil. They've been in a pig pen. You're home now. You're home now. And I pray and hope that in this church that we have sandals to put on the lost that say, you're home now. That give people dignity. Let me tell you a story about Greg Gordon. You heard him testify up here at my birthday. And I'm not talking about me, but he walked into our church one Sunday morning at the end of service and made his way up during the altar service, and he bowed down, and he gave his heart to Jesus. Drug, Greg was on drugs. He was messed up in his family. He had a, a son that was from a woman that he was estranged from, and things weren't going good for Greg. But came, Greg came down. And he gave his heart to Jesus. And he cleaned up. But we made him know that he was welcome. And he could have dignity among us. We put the sandals on his feet. Then there was Tommy Hall. And Tommy Hall was in Vernon, Texas. And Tommy had walked away from God when he was about 18 years old. He was nearing 40 at that time. And had not darkened the doors of a church from that period on. He was raised in church. But some things happened in a holiness place that people shamed him for no good reason. And he walked away and said, if it's that way, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And it had to do with wearing jewelry. He walked away. But one Sunday morning, he saw an advertisement in the paper that we were going to be doing an illustrated sermon. And he said, I don't want to go see that. So he brought his wife and he brought his two children to the service that Sunday morning. And when I gave the altar call, he took his wife and his two kids and walked down to the altar of that church, bowed his knees, said a sinner's prayer, and he repented. He turned around. And now, tonight, he's probably preaching a sermon up in Tennessee somewhere right now because he's pastoring a church. That night, he came back to service and played the guitar. As far as I know, he's never quit playing for his church. The next Sunday, he brought his best friend, Jimmy Dennis. Jimmy and his wife, Sarah, and their two girls, when the altar call came, they stood up and they walked up to the front of the church and they gave their heart to Jesus. I think it was the next week that Tommy and Dina's parents both came to church and her sister, I gave the altar call. They all came to the altar and gave their heart to Jesus. It went on and on like that. On and on. We put the sandals on their feet. We told them that they loved them and they had dignity there. It didn't matter where they lived. 
not me, but another pastor. He was out in the foyer before church, and while he's walking up and down the foyer, he's noticed this girl. She was a sight. Tattoos and piercings everywhere, and I mean everywhere is the way he described it. And he approached her, and he welcomed her to church, and she didn't know him. He didn't know her, and they just chatted for a minute and uh, said, what brings you to our church? He'd never seen her. He said, well, my friend invited me, and he, he said, where are you going to church? And I said, oh, no, I haven't been in church since I was seven years old. Well, how are you, old are you now? Nineteen. And she said, Christians hate me. He said, what do you mean Christians hate you? She said, well, every time they see my piercings, they give me that look. He said, I find your piercings interesting. Tell me what they're about. And she said, well, each one of them have a meaning. See, this one, I put it right here because that's where my mom always kisses me. And I haven't been around my mom in a long time, and I miss her kisses. And that reminds me of her kisses. This one I got in Paris. doesn't have a deep meaning, but I just remember that good time I had when I was there. And then he went back to him and said, what about that look? He said, she said, you know, Christian, they just look at me. And all of a sudden her phone rang. She pulls her phone out of her pocket and said, this is the friend who invited me here today. I need to meet up with her. Still didn't know he was a pastor, and she walked off. And the pastor prayed this prayer out of his heart. God, please don't let the Christians here today give her that look. We need to let that sink in. Don't let the Christians give somebody that doesn't look like a church person that look. And finally, simply, the fattened calf. What did that mean? That meant the generosity of the flock. The generosity of the flock. What a good God. Would you stand?